I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the continued upset in stocks, why the market can't get any traction, and where your money is safe or still at risk. We debate that with our investment committee this hour. And joining me today, Jenny Harrington is the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Amy Raskin, chief investment officer, Chevy Chase Trust, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Nice to see everybody today. Go to the wall, check stocks. We're down across the board. Tech's been under some heavy selling pressure. Bitcoin's getting trounced. We're working on our third straight down day for the major averages. Steve Weiss, is, is this just Bitcoin's turn? Right. We, we and stocks for that matter. I mean, we're, we continue to wipe off excess. It, it feels like NFTs. Then you go SPACs and then you go ARK stocks. And now we're talking cryptos and Bitcoin today. And stocks are still, you know, in this wipeout. Well, I think it's a downturn in risk assets overall. Uh, the correlation actually between Bitcoin and the markets is historically very low. Point two as opposed to one to one. It spiked this year, and that usually spikes when there's either a major move up or a major move down. But I don't think Bitcoin's got much to do with the U.S. market. What's driving the market are continued fears of inflation. We've heard CEOs Brian Cornell from Target talked about price increases in food and beverage. And we're going to continue to hear that as the market believes that the Fed is behind on their moves. So that's what's pressuring the market. Eventually, we'll get to a level where it's fine. And I think we're actually getting there in parts of tech. What I found very encouraging, even at the lows of the market today, is that you had cheap, reasonably priced, sustainable growth stocks like Skyworks and Corvo, the semis, being up on the day. And not so much the crowd strikes, which have returned, as well as the zooms, etc. So to me, the market started to find a little bit of balance. I'm still sticking with a lot of cash right now because I don't think the sell-off is over yet. And uh, you know, but eventually I'll be putting some money money to work. Right. And again, reasonable right. growth and reasonable cyclical. All right. So, so Jenny, what's the market trying to figure out? What's the story here? Bank of America today says the risk that the pace of the rally, the risk is that the pace of the rally from 2020 was too fast. Gee, thanks. You think? I mean, (laughs) is that what part of the problem is? Is this just too much was pulled forward? Now we know everything? I think so. I think the way you use the term wiping off the excess, I think that's really a perfect phrasing for what's going on. So what, what the market does, which we all know only too well, is that the market looks forward six to nine months. And so here's where we sit when we look forward six to nine months from this point in time. We know that in June, the Fed's going to meet and they may start to use the word taper in that June meeting. Then as we look out to November, December, into the first quarter of 2022, as we're looking ahead, here's what we have lined up for us. The Fed's going to meet in November, November 3rd. They might start tapering then. That's what the expectations are. Rates will probably be at zero, but at that point, they're going to need to start thinking about raising rates. Economic growth, it's still going to be growing, but the rate of growth is going to be decelerating. And even if we're growing at 4% growth in, um, in six to nine months or a year from now, that's going to be lower and slower than what we've been used to. And the market and people always seem to freak out over that. Then we're going to be getting closer to midterm elections. So there will be less policy, um, less stimulus potential. We also right now, we're digesting the fact that um, that 
the infrastructure spending bill, that's pretty much evaporated. So I think that's coming out. And so it's exactly what you said. The excess is being wiped off. We're smoothing out. And I think we are still continuing to see this rotation. I think it's healthy. Um, but I think that all of this is being digested right now. I, frankly, I think it's being digested in a quite healthy way. We need to remember, even after all this, we're still up about 10% on the year on the right. S&P 500. I, Following I, I the huge years we've had, that's awesome. Joe, um, is that what it is? Too much pulled forward? What, what happened to Goldilocks and, and the roaring 20s? Or no one's talking about it. I mean, did President Biden kill the golden goose for investors by this tax thing, which... You know, I don't know to what degree it's going to happen if it happens at all. Something's going to happen, right? Market really hasn't been the same since it started fixating on all of this tax talk. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Let, let's first tackle the roaring 20s. I never bought into that. I thought that was an unreasonable expectation. The roaring 20s were about the single largest adjustment in individual tax rates in the history of the country. They were above 70% in 1921. Between 1925 and 1928, the top rate was 25%. So that's not the climate of now. What I think is going on in the market right now is about leverage. And it's about excessive leverage, to your point, where you began the show. It's rolling in terms of correcting the excesses as it relates to leverage. I think it next moves into commodities. The bad news is, I think 2021, Scott, is very similar to 2010. You come off a year in 2009 where you got 25% for the S&P. You had earnings reported in April. Markets stalled out at that point. They were up 15% for the year in 2010, but much of that gain didn't happen until the other side of Labor Day. So I think we need to hear about corporate earnings is it reflation? Is it inflation? You're not going to know that until July. We could have 60 more days where the market is in this type Joe, of a Joe, we mood. just heard from that we, all being we said. We just had earnings, Joe. We just had corporate earnings, and they were great. We got to wait for earning, earn, earnings they, again as the next catalyst? I mean, come on. We're, we're well, going to have a booming that would be, We're going to have a booming summer here. What happened to this Goldilocks environment, which we heard from a lot of people about? This roaring 20s thing didn't just evaporate o overnight. It if we're if we're working well, off our excess, are, are we not getting close to the point where we've wiped out enough of the excesses in the stock market? Because we worked over the NFT deal and SPACs and, you know, Bitcoin is having its own issue today. And maybe that was next on the list. And the ARK stocks have had a big come down, too. I thought that stocks were nearing the end of this. Th this action today and over the last couple of days would suggest otherwise. No, I disagree with that. I think and the catalyst will ultimately have to be you had a very bad reaction to extremely positive earnings. That's exactly what happened in 2010 coming off 2009's sharp rally. You need to next get positive earnings and see if you can get the strong response. You're obviously not going to get that until July. So, Scott, I think investors are unfortunately accustomed to having very fast corrections, very fast recoveries this time around. To work off this excess leverage, you're not going to get it. Is there excessive leverage right now in commodities? Potentially. Is that the next place potentially that you're going to see it unwind? That could unfold. It's going to be like this over the next two months. That's my belief. All that being said, there are some things you could do in the market today to Stephen's point. I think the semis are trading well. You could look at SMH. You could look at LAM Research. You could look at Texas Instruments, Fortinet. We held last Wednesday's lows for the S&P and the NASDAQ. 
That's the one positive thing, but that's just in the short term. I hear you, but I'm looking at the defensive moves that you've made, right? I'm not talking about the stocks mm-hmm. that you just mentioned. I'm talking about selling Pinduoduo. I'm talking about selling Uber. I'm yep. talking about selling Coinbase. I'm talking about selling Pinterest. I'm talking about selling AMD. Not where the opportunity to buy is, Joe, because that's not what my sheet says that you're focused on. You're defensive in this market. No. Absolutely. I, I, you, you, Scott, you know me, and, and my background was as a risk manager. And first and foremost, I'm always looking where can I mitigate risk. And I think this is still the environment. That's why I think it takes two more months, where the first question you're asking yourself is not how much can I make, but how much can I lose? I ask myself that all the time. And I think that's going to continue. Uh, Listen, nothing is happening in the market today that hasn't happened in the past. Markets are just a series of patterns that repeat themselves. And this is a pattern right now of deleveraging and corrective nature. And in that environment, you need to be a risk manager first. Okay. Um, let me go to my next, my next risk manager, Amy Raskin. Nice to see you. Um, Great to see you, too. How do you see things, given what you've heard from the others? Um, I, I have a slightly different view. I, I think um, in terms of the question on Goldilocks, we're in kind of the exact opposite of Goldilocks right now. Goldilocks was you can have a lot of stimulus, you can have growth, and you're not going to get inflation. Right now, we've had actually the economic data sort of surprising on the downside, even though it's been incredibly strong. You had retail sales miss, you had employment risk you miss, you had um, consumer confidence miss. So in general, the economy is growing very strongly, but it's missing expectations. And on the other hand, you're having inflation exceeding expectations. So that's sort of the exact opposite. Whose expectations? That's what I'm well, saying. Whose expectations is, is inflation exceeding? Right. Not not the feds. It hasn't even met their expectations. This belief. I mean, look at what Joe said about what's happening in the commodities market and what lumber prices have done over the last week or so. I don't know. What are they down like six straight days? Where's all this inflation that everybody's all fixated over? Where's the yield on the 10 year note today? It's not in some (laughs) runaway freight train anymore. Everybody got all crazy about inflation. A little inflation's to be expected. A little inflation is to be expected. A lot of inflation actually right now is to be expected. And, and, but it's still surprising on the upside. If you look at the US PPI, the China PPI, the CPI, it's all coming in ahead of expectations, even though expectations have gone up. And yes, commodity prices have come off a little in the last few days, but they're still up a lot and there's a lot more room to run. So I, I sort of disagree with Joe on that point. You have a perfect storm right now. You have consumers having a ton of cash Um, Very little leverage, which, again, is very different than when we came out of 2010. A lot of fiscal stimulus, a lot of pent-up demand. Um, You have had almost no investment in the commodity complex for the last 10 years. You have supply chain disruptions. So right now you have a perfect storm, and you're going to get inflation. And the Fed knows that, and the Fed's not saying that we're not getting inflation. They're just saying it's transitory. And we'll have to wait to see if it is actually transitory. But This is not a Goldilocks environment. On the other hand, though, so that's sort of the negative. On the other hand, you have a massive wall of liquidity that you're fighting at this point. You have very negative real rates. You have people that have to put money to work. So I don't think we're going to get, you know, we can get more of a correction. We can get the markets going down. But this is probably not the end. We're not coming up on a recession. The Fed is not tightening. And there's a lot of liquidity out there that's looking for investments Mike, right now. Mike Santoli, is, I mean, is it just me? What happened? Goldilocks just went away that fast? 
It's, it's all over? The Roaring Twenties are yeah. over? Well, first of all, we haven't even gotten the started. Roaring Twenties was not Goldilocks. The Roaring Twenties were a very fast expanding economy as the world got rebuilt after, you know, a cataclysmic war. That was never really the great uh, comp, I think, for what we were in right now. And Goldilocks was what? Very predictable 2% real GDP growth and not much inflation. So it was a 2-2-2 economy. It was 2% growth, 2% inflation, 2% 10-year yields. That's not what we're in. We have a very compressed cycle right now. But... All that being said, the market is metabolizing this stuff in a, in a relatively reasonable way. You're less than 4% off the highs. The story of the last three hours, as opposed to the pre-market and that little opening uh, drop, has been of traction in the markets. It's basically went almost to the dollar back to last week's lows in the S&P. And then the stuff that was d- downside leadership, like semis, has actually you know kind of gotten its feet back under it. So this isn't over. Uh, these things are not a moment they're a process but i think that the whole that the market's been kind of sorting through a lot of these issues for a while some of the cyclical leadership it really has looked fatigued and i think if you look at some of the financial and industrial charts you say oh there's a couple of little peaks on those charts from the last couple of months maybe we have to feel feel like you can't ask very much of those groups anymore for the very short term so i think all those things uh, are going back and forth but here's what's not happening What's not happening is the credit markets are not throwing any kind of a tantrum. There doesn't seem to be a lot of broader financial stress that's being built up here. It is mostly an equity market positioning, risk versus reward thing, uh, as you know, we, we do still keep digesting that massive move off the low last week. And also, I think the rush into the, uh, the April highs. I thought just the other day we had a conversation and, and you were thinking that we had worked off a lot yeah. of the excess already. Now, we have. you know, but now we've got this Bitcoin thing happening today. If Bitcoin wasn't down as much as it is today, would the overall market be down as much? I'm trying to figure out who's leading who. Yeah, I would. I mean, just a venturing a guess, an educated guess is probably not. At least it would not have been down as much at the open. A lot of the adjacent type stocks are, are definitely down along with Bitcoin. But Bitcoin was honestly the one piece of that sort of you know, speculative fever type groups uh, in the market that had not had a comeuppance. You, you named a bunch of them before. February was top for a lot of those things, and they've mostly been reset lower. Not to say that it's over, but, you know, it seems like Bitcoin was the one that was still out there, left to be purged. And, and that's what, you know, maybe has happened, maybe is happening. So I think sentiment has been reset pretty well. Positioning, people are kind of all in if you're a long-term investor, but more tactical. The traders have got more defensive. Uh, I would also note the volatility index today at the lows for the market this morning was not at the highs from last week, which kind of also tells you there's just a little bit less of a sense of urgency of, uh, of getting out or hedging. So all those things working together and, uh, and you know, as I said earlier, S&P up uh, almost 9% year to date. Well, the $64,000 question is where do stocks fit in the list of those things right. that are wiping off the excess? And it's impossible to know whether enough, quote unquote, enough has been wiped out of those stocks that were exhibiting the most excess within the market. No, exactly. No, it's exactly right. And, and you know what? There's always a new group of stocks that might be getting overstretched when the other one, you know, kind of relaxed and cooled off and corrected hard, right? So Goldman Sachs has had a crazy run this year. It's not the area we keep talking about as having been, you know, really the, the, the target or the, the locus of all the excess. But, 
you know, things everyone's rotated into, you know, market linked financials. And so that I, I think that that's the give and take we're in. Most of what's gone on this year has been in the context of the markets repricing for better economic growth, a reflationary environment, and the fact that the big growth companies had their day, you know, starting, you know, ending last Labor Day. Uh, and that's been on a relative basis. They've been reset valuation wise and they don't look nearly as expensive as they did nine months ago. Well, now I'm wondering, Jenny, like Bob Pisani was talking about earlier today as to whether the value trade, the reopening trade or whatever trade you want to call it is peaking in and of itself. You, you're involved in a lot of these kinds of stocks, right? Whether it's Chevron or Duke mm -hmm. or Kinder Morgan, Williams, Dow. Right. These stocks are not that far away from their 52 week highs and they're a heck of a long way off of their 52 week lows. So maybe all of it's already in. I don't think so. And here's why I don't think so. I have a I have a list of, I don't know, like 10 different reasons. But the primary reason, and this is the most important, is that the valuation gap still remains incredibly wide. S&P growth is currently trading at a 27 times multiple. S&P value is currently trading at a 17 times multiple. So when we talk about wiping off the excess, it has been wiped off. It is being wiped off. But the depressed stocks, right, the depressed sectors, financials, materials, energy, the ones that have, even though they're up a lot, there's still a long way to go. And historically, Based on that what? divide between growth and value. Based on what? Based on, okay. Based on what? Based on they're this. up a lot. They have a long. the multiple. They're, they're up a lot. They have a long way to go. The words you just said, based on what? Here's why. Because historically, the multiple range between growth and value is not as wide as it is right now. Even with, even with all of that move upward that the growth, sorry, that the value side has had since Labor Day. So JP Morgan has a great chart. And what they show is that on average, the divide between growth, the multiple divide between growth stocks and value stocks is about a 10 point range. Right now, and this is based on JP Morgan's numbers, not the S&P numbers that I just quoted. Right now, even with all the movement that we've seen in, in value appreciating, that multiple range is still an 18 point range, not the historical average of 10 points. So I really think that there is going to mean, be mean reversion. Also, there's other things going on, like the growth right now, growth is coming from the sectors, the growth in earnings rather, is coming from the sectors that didn't appreciate. So we're seeing a lot of growth in financials. We're seeing a lot of growth in, in, um, in energy. And we're not seeing as much growth in, for the long run, right? For the next 12 months, we're not going to see as much growth in, say, Apple and Netflix and Google. Their relative growth rates are slowing where there's still a lot of relative growth in the areas that haven't done as well. There's also stuff like this that I think is going to close the gap, which is that momentum, I think the momentum trade in growth has kind of broken. And so if we, if we can say that momentum pushed the, the fang along and the high spec tech along for the last couple of years, that's changed. And that momentum has shifted into the areas that are out of favor. Then there's stuff like if there is a corporate tax rate, that's going to disproportionately hurt the fang and the fang-esque type stocks. Um, at the same time, there's still a ton of cash sloshing around out there. And as people have gotten spanked on their cryptos, on their NFTs, on their SPACs, as they're getting spanked, I think that they're starting to look for the safer areas. And if I can just give like one personal experience, you know, I've managed this dividend income it's strategy program, for a really long go time. Ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, sorry. You know, I, I'm on with Weiss, so I want to give my own book report for a change. But right. uh, 
We're not so, trying to do like the Encyclopedia uh, Britannica version of the book. No, no, report, I'll go super ahead. quick. Exactly. <laughs> no, but this is kind of interesting. So I've managed this dividend income portfolio for a long time. And I've always had clients come and they've always kind of fit the same stereotype, which is that they're looking for income. In the last three or four months, I've had a totally different client base start to call me. And they're people who had the ARC funds and did really well last year, who've traded Peloton, um, Pinterest, like these huge things, made a lot of money, have been high in growth. And now what they're doing is they're actively seeking out the stocks that I manage, which are the kind of the value area, um, to try to take that risk off and to try to create a different foundation in their portfolio. Many of them are still trading the aggressive stuff, but they're using this as a foundation. So I see that as a rotation out of the high risk, high growth area and into, into the value. I think all that pushes pushes the um, rotational leadership along for a long time still to come. Well, of course. Well, the, so, okay, sorry for good. the book report. No, it's all, <laughs> it's all good. Mm -hmm. Um, Amy, the question is, when does that rotation run its course? H how much do those stocks, the Kathy Wood ARC stocks, still need to come down? We've got a lot of people with that thought on their minds. Like, I own these stocks. I love these stocks. They've come down so much. When's the bleeding going to stop? Well, it depends on interest rates, which depends on inflation. So, um, if you know, I think at the end of this, we're going to go back into a low int in interest rate world and a um, I don't think inflation will be quite as low as it was last decade. There's a lot of reasons for that. But I do think that the, our economy just cannot stand much higher interest rates. And so if you get, I think interest rates will go up and then they'll come back down. And that's when you're going to see growth um, outperform again. It's, it's very dependent on the path of inflation, which will impact interest rates. So, so Steve I think there's probably still a little bit more to come off uh, in certain stocks. But I think we're getting there. Okay. Santola, you stay with me. I'm not, I'm not done with you yet. I just want to hear from some of these other, other folks first. Uh, Steve Weiss, you sold almost all of your Facebook last week. Okay. I, I bring that up. It's like if you, if you can't really hide out in some of these so-called value stocks, you know, maybe, they, maybe they're peaking, and you can't hide out in some of the ARC stocks because they've come down so much but maybe still have more room to go, and you can't hide out in the FANG stocks. If you're selling Facebook, I've got Apple 15% off of its highs. The target gets reduced today to 134 from 138 at Barclays. Microsoft's about 8% of, off of its highs. Um, Bitcoin, I thought, was a hedge, so I can't hide out there because that thing's tumbling today. Where am I going with my money? You're going 35% well, cash. That says it all. all. That says it all. You're answering my exactly, question. Exactly, exactly. So Right. So Facebook was a trade. I traded from 300 or 302 to 312 and it worked there. So the point is, it's a trading market on certain stocks. I don't think you can hide in anything when markets are going down. You got to be in cash. While cash is a depleting asset, I don't have to be fully invested like Jenny or, or, or others on the show that typically come on that have these mandates, you're my equity investor, you gotta be in the market, maybe you have 10% cash. So I think cash is the best place, best place to be. In terms of buying the, the crowd strikes or buying the Zooms or the Teldocs, et cetera, you can't hide there. So what? So the price to revenue has gone from, you know, whatever, 125 times to 80 times. They're still egregiously overvalued and they will reset. And frankly, it doesn't matter right now and for the next three months or six months 
where inflation ultimately ends up or where interest rates ultimately end up. It matters what the market's believing is going to happen. And right now it believes that the Fed's going to have to move sooner than later. They'll stop this bond buying relatively soon. I believe, in my opinion, not right now, where Mark Zariffi. And as far as Bitcoin, Bitcoin is such a small asset class. Most people don't have any investment in nor do they care. And I don't believe that the people who are generally in Bitcoin are saying, hey, you know what? Bitcoin's down. Let me sell. Let me buy CrowdStrike. No, they're, they're going to go Steve, toes up Steve, it's a sentiment eventually. thing. It's a sentiment that doesn't it matter. It doesn't matter that so few but, people may own it. How many people have are in NFTs my, or this or whatever? It's, a, it's today's version of, of is, excess sentiment, is, perhaps, that was in the market, right? No, well, no, I disagree. My point is that I don't think Jenny's looking at Bitcoin or anybody in the show and saying, hey, that shows that sentiment's bad. It's showing that those people that yeah. went in there that paid whatever, two million for an NFT are out of their minds. And this proves it. So I think that that's an odd lot. It's good to talk about. It's exciting to talk about. But I don't think it's any kind of indicator whatsoever other than risk off in all assets right now, but not major league. All right. Mike, so I'm getting close Scott, to putting money in the market. Can I make a quick point? Joe, go, go real quick, because then I'm giving Santoli the last word. Here's why Bitcoin is relevant to the market. Uh, and I, I disagree with Steve on this. Tesla has a correlation to Bitcoin. Tesla is down 35% from its January high. It is 1.5% of the S&P overall. It's important to the sentiment of the S&P. You need Tesla, okay, to halt the decline that it's currently experiencing from January, and you're not going to do that with Bitcoin diving 20% in a day. He's right, Steve, right? I, I, I agree on certain stocks. Certain stocks, I agree. I think Tesla actually has it's seen not, the best but now it is. Got Bitcoin. Uh, okay. Bitcoin. I mean, okay. Tesla's no, gone no, from no. 900 Select to 550 the in the Coinbase stock market. Coinbase is a correlation. So it wasn't before it was. A broad correlation to the... A broad correlation to the market, Bitcoin is not there. And the numbers prove it. Okay. I told All you, right. isolated days, that correlation's there. It's not there generally. Okay, Santoli, last word. Just leave us with a Santoli-ish thought. It's, you know, honestly, I don't think anything that's going on right now is particularly surprising. The market right now is absorbing uh, these, these little mini shocks, and uh, we'll see if that means it's uh, resilient or whistling past the graveyard. All right, man. Good stuff. Thank you, as, as always. Up next, Avenue Capital's Mark Lazary is with us. We'll talk the sell-off, where rates go from here, where the opportunities are. I haven't talked to Laz in a while. Was with us many times through the pandemic. Now that we're about to exit, we'll catch up with him next. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says that he will now oppose a bill that would create an independent commission on the January insurrection at the Capitol. His comments come as the House is expected to pass the bill, and a day after McConnell said that he was open to the legislation but didn't want to do anything quickly. Let's see what this means for the bill's chances in the Senate tonight on the news with Shepard Smith. Texas has become the largest state to prohibit abortions as early as six weeks. Governor Greg Abbott signing the bill this morning. Texas joining more than a dozen other states that ban abortions after the detection of a fetal heartbeat. Just north of Miami, part of a major interstate was closed for hours. A driver fleeing police loses control, clips a couple of cars here, and then you see him flip the SUV 
Multiple suspects are now in custody after that incident. And Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says that he is determined to continue military operations in Gaza. That comes just hours after President Biden told Netanyahu that he expected significant de-escalation today and movement towards a ceasefire. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Okay, Rahel, thank you, Rahel Solomon. Let's take a look at shares of AMD because they are making quite a move at the moment. There you go. Two and a half percent to the upside. Why? Because AMD, I'm told, has just announced a $4 billion share buyback. Joe Terranova, we just talked about AMD because you sold it not that long ago. And you, above all, should know about the power of buybacks because you've talked about them so often on this program. Now I wonder whether we're going to start seeing a lot more buybacks announced. And that could be a bit of a floor that we've been looking for. I'm going to be real succinct. Buy AMD. Even though, well, even though you sold it? Sold it $14 higher. Go buy it. Are you, are you going to buy exactly it back? exactly what you want a company. Yes. You are? Okay. Yeah, I was just trying to get to that, right? We good? All right. We're good. Let's bring in our headline guest now. He was with us throughout the pandemic, joins us now with his outlook on the world and the investing landscape. Mark Lazary, chairman and CEO of Avenue Capital. Welcome back. It's been a it's been a while. Yes, it has. Thank you for having yeah. me back. Man, the times are so different from when we were with you. Um, well, you were with us every week throughout yeah. the pandemic. And, and how do things look to you, you know, from a distressed side, your bread and butter, really, when things aren't as distressed anymore? Um, well, they actually look great. And the reason they look great is exactly what you said. It's not that distress. So the opportunities that you have, you actually feel really comfortable because it's first time in my lifetime that I've been able to invest in special sits with a GDP that's above 5%. So there's less things to do, which you're absolutely correct about. But the ones which we are doing, um, we feel really comfortable with. Where are you doing them? Um, So where you're seeing a lot of these opportunities is really right now Um, in Europe and in Asia. That, for us, has continued to grow. Um, We're we're doing quite a bit. We're just making a lot of bilateral loans. We're lending people money. So if you can't get access to capital today and you can't borrow at one, two, or three percent, and then you're coming to us, we're going to charge you. Right now, we used to charge 15. That's come down. Um, Now we're charging 10 to 12. Um, So you know, we feel pretty comfortable about that. That's interesting. So I was going to ask you about that. I mean, this, you know, direct lending business really that you you had um, in China. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that your, you know, your return, your rates have, have come down as the world has gotten a little less uneasy, right? They, they have because really what we're doing is we're just over collateralized. So the competition we're having today is not from distressed players or banks. It's really from private equity. It's from people coming in and saying, don't borrow at 15, I'll lend you, I'll give you money. So that's why we've ended up lowering our rates. Um, but we feel extremely comfortable simply because um, so far um, we haven't had any losses and we've got pretty much all the collateral of the company. Interesting. Joe Terranova, you got something for Mark Lazary? I do, Mark. We talked a lot about commercial real estate last time you were on. We saw from March to May 
Prices declined 11%. They're up strongly since last July, around 7%. Commercial real estate market is strong once again. Once we take away the support, do I still want to be there? And also keep in mind, it offers an inflation protection. Um, I like real estate. I mean, what we're seeing, um, you know, there was a moment in time where we thought we'd be able to buy um, you know, some debt pretty cheaply. And I think what's happened is we just haven't been able to. Uh, mainly because they were able to hold out. And I think you're absolutely right. Things are starting to turn. So I'm pretty comfortable with it right now. You're, you're reasonably close with, with the administration. I mean, at least certain people w- within it. Yep. How are you thinking about this talk of not only a change in personal tax policy, but corporate policy from a, you know, a, a, a citizen and then an investor? Um, well, I think as a citizen... Um, I'm fine with it as long as you don't make things retroactive. I think if you're going to raise taxes and you want to take away a bunch of things, it's fine to do that and say, look, give everybody notice. Don't do things retroactively. And I think the administration, I hope, is going down that road. I think they'll end up doing it effective of, you know, starting next year. Um, is that? Let me, ask you, let me ask you real quick. Forgive me for interrupting you, but is that is that an educated guess or is that just a, a, a hope? Because that is a big concern that doing it retroactively has a bunch of different ripple effects. Right. You lose the ability to, to sell some things that you would have otherwise sold. No, that's exactly it. And I think I've been making that point. Um, and I think others are making that point. Uh, you hope that people will end up um, listening to you. Um, but again, it's totally up to them. But I, you know, the point I've been making is by making things retroactively, you're sort of taking money away and you're forcing people to act non-economically. Mm. Give people notice and then it's fine. Then if people want to sell, they can. And if they don't, it's OK. Um, but I think you've got to give notice. And I don't think that's been happening. What, what about a change to the corporate rate? How much have you been thinking about that? Um, not that much, to be honest with you. I think it's it's not going to have that much of an impact on companies. Um, I think it'll it'll be pretty small of an impact. Um, people will still figure out what they need to do, but it depends where it goes. You know, if it's if it's increased quite a bit, then yes, then I think it does have a pretty big impact. I don't I don't think it's going to go up that much. You may you know you may increase the tax rate for corporations by ten percent. I don't think it's going to be 20 or 30, but again, that's my guess. Did you really want this first round matchup with Jimmy Buckets and company? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. You know what? Right. No, no, no. We did. And you could see that we did. And the reason we wanted it is when we played the Heat, um, we played our guys. Um, we didn't do what a lot of other teams have done, which is sit all their guys. Um, we played our guys to make sure we wanted to send a message. I think that message has been received. Oh. And I think it'll be a great matchup for us. Okay. Bulletin board material may be there. I don't know. I, I don't no, know no, no, no bulletin board. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Mark. All be right. Good. Take care, man. Okay. Bye-bye. It's Mark Lazary joining us there. Got a bullish call out on one industrial stock that's doubled over the past year. We'll debate if you should add it to your portfolio next. Plus, May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month all month long. We're spotlighting CNBC contributors and business leaders and our own on-air anchors and reporters. Here's CNBC's Eunice Yoon. Growing up, I remember my mom always thinking about finances in terms of tuition and school fees. 
Education and Asian culture is seen as a key to success, and maybe more so in the Asian American community, where people are cut off from old business relationships when moving to the United States. That intense focus on education and work ethic, coupled with the American idea of self-generated success, shaped who I am today. Welcome back. Take a look at shares of FedEx today. They're not doing much. However, Steve Weiss bought the stock during the show, or at least he bought more. And by the way, Weiss, I'm su- I suppose you knew that it was reiterated a top pick at Bank of America. Their price target goes to 372. That's the highest on the street. If you take a look at FedEx and, and what the valuation is historically, it's a fraction of that now. It's almost half of where it's been at 15 times next year. Uh, this is one that I want to own. It's not much higher this year. Freight is tight. We know that. The economy is going to keep growing. These stocks get no love. So I'd much, much rather own this that's carrying the, the, the freight, that's carrying everything, than own something that, you know, I've got to worry about what their pricing is going to be. I know what capacity is with FedEx. I know what it is with XBO. I know what it is with UPS, et cetera. So that's where I want to be. I think they're the smartest industrial plays out there. What do you mean they get no love? The stock's like 10 bucks off its high. But take a look in terms of the valuation. You've seen multiple expansion across the markets. It's arguably got us to where we are. Here you've seen multiple compression. So while their earnings have grown tremendously, it hasn't gotten the same love that you see for a tick up in earnings. So the market's sort of, you know, I mean, you look at AMD, for example, $4 billion buyback. Uh, Great, that's 5%. Corvo's got a 10% buyback they announced a week ago. So there are places in the market you can go where there's still value. FedEx is definitely one of them. All right. We're going to find out about another presumed, presumed value play, Cisco Systems. It's under pressure in today's sell-off, but it is still up about 17% this year. Earnings are out after the bell. One Jenny Harrington is going to weigh in on that next. All right, Cisco Systems, the earnings are on deck after the bell today. Jenny, I'd already teased that you'd be talking about this because you own it. You've defended it in the past. It's had a nice little move in the last few months. Now what? So in our office, we've been joking around about speculative technology and calling it spec tech. This is the opposite of spec tech. This is a company that, sh- that we know is going to earn over $3 a share, whether it's $3.30, $3.35, we're not sure. But where you've got it right now is it's trading at 15 and a half times earnings. Um, analysts are expecting 4% earnings growth. We think that that's easy to beat. They're going to be a big beneficiary of, of people returning to the office and the complexity of networks that need, to, that need to accommodate both people in the office and working from home. So we think there's just a ton of good stuff going for it. We actually added to our position in February at $45 and think that there's a lot of upside still to go from here. Okay. I mean, I, I'm so sure... excited the, to see what they report. I'm sure those spec tech conversations were rip-roaring in your office. Wish I could have been there. <laughs> Sounds like they were great. <laughs> Steve Weiss. It's always fun at Gilman Hill. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you as excited about Cisco Systems as Jenny Harrington and her gang at work is? First of all, every time Jenny talks, I lose track of the days. Is it Friday yet? Um, no, I'm not as excited. You get Look, there's always this wishing and <laughs> there's always this wishing and wanting out there for these old dogs like Cisco and like IBM, which has had a pop recently, and Intel to recover. But it's too difficult for their businesses. Number one, they move too slowly. Number two, there's new technologies that are coming up that are feasting on their carcasses. So no, I wouldn't own own Cisco here. I'd much rather, and it's not that cheap. 
It's, it's an old line industrial. The ones I mentioned times. before are cheaper and growing. Okay, I've, I've got Corvo that's growing at 50 to 60%. That's the same value, the same multiple. What's cheaper, Jenny? We'll see what Corvo actually you. does. She's trying to be. She's trying to be respectful. You saw Steve. She, does, she doesn't want to like, totally mix it I up. I am. I like to respect my elders. <laughs> she, she's oh. she's rightly she, she, she's correctly reserved no. and not. Hold on, you're done. You're done. That was it. I got one more. Come on. I'm not listening to Steve. What? All right. Ask halftime is next. Send in your questions. We'll play them by video. We'll play them on. We'll play them by. We'll play them on the air. Now I'm all flustered. Email us. Ask halftime at CNBC.com. We're back right after this. All right. Let's do it. Let's answer your questions. Amy, video question first for you. Hey, halftime gang. Chris and Lady from London here. We both love Chewy, but are afraid the reopening trade and any further rise in interest rates will hinder the stock price. Thoughts on Chewy over the short run. Thanks. All right, Amy. Beautiful dog, but um, we don't like Chewy here. Um, $30 billion market cap company. It ran up a lot last year, got a pandemic boost. Um, growth is not that robust. Um, bearish entry, not that great. So we're we're Okay. Uh, Joe T, video for you. Hi, guys. Uh, my question is about Cleveland Cliffs. Uh, we've had a great run. Uh, we've had a bit of a pullback. Uh, do we buy back in now or do we wait for 1718? Thanks a lot. I feel like Farmer Jim should really have gotten this question, right, Joe? I mean, you I, admit that, right? But, but you take it. You take I, it. Unless you suspect that Farmer Jim is part of the submission of that question, which potentially he could be. So well, I'm not going to go true. against Farmer Jim. This is true. I'm not, I'm not going against Farmer Jim. Uh, automotive demand for steel has remained resilient despite uh, a lot of the, the chip shortages that are uh, now uh, hindering the automakers. So, yes, I think you could step in with it trading right now at $19 and buy it. But I will say... Freeport MacMoran, copper exposure, much better material play. Someone might own Freeport MacMoran. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Uh, let's watch the video, Jenny. Hey, Jenny. My name is Tim Olson. I'm from Mandeville, Louisiana. Uh, I have a question about Unum. I'm in at $18 a share is my average cost. It just hit over 30 today. As an income investor, would you be adding to that position, or are you looking elsewhere for income? Thank you. All right. What do you think? I think... As an income investor, you can still add to this. It has a 3.8% dividend yield. It trades at six times earnings. But the best part is those earnings are going to grow at about 10% between 2021 and 2022. And they benefit from people returning to work and from a robust um, unemployment environment, as well as increasing interest rates. So you've got a lot going for it. I'd still own it. Okay. Steve Weiss, lastly to you, video question. Let's watch and then you can react. Hello, Scott and team. I'm Merrill from St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. A Kramer recently suggested to sell Jumia. I wonder what Steve Weiss is doing with his position. I'm eager to hear his words of wisdom. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, words of wisdom, my goodness. See, how much you pay this guy to send that in? <laughs> well, first of all, can you play that again? <laughs> uh, look, here, here are my words of wisdom, I understand. It's the only Scott. time you ever it's hear it, so you want to hear it 20 times. Please, <laughs> you, you go ahead. 
Well, I think you should, I think you should be you should be writing this down, and and Jenny, you too. Go ahead. So here's what I'd say. I don't know what Jim knows about Jumia. I spoke to the CEO last week. I talked to him regularly. They had a great quarter, but it's not alone in being down as a stock that's not earning anything. Although they are profitable on an EBITDA basis, pre-EBITDA basis, but but it's not it's not earning anything. So it's it's down like the others. So what I've done is I size those stocks to what the market's telling me. But I still do have a position that I still like it. I actually added back to it yesterday. All right. Final trades are next. Tickers only, people. Amy, you're first. BGP. It's an European industrial REIT. Okay. Close enough. Jenny. SLG. All right. Joe Terranova. FTNT. All right. Steve Weiss. P-O-A-H-Y. P-O-A-H-Y. Okay. Good stuff, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC.